I'm going to ask that you turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23. As you're turning there, the uh, saints at Bristol say hello to each and every one. We have a tradition there that um, on Mother's Day, we buy all kinds of roses. Every mother in that room gets a rose. So uh, here's another tradition. Keep your specialties, but bring in a whole bunch of roses for every mom. That's a suggestion. By the way, grandchildren... And you know why they call them grandchildren? Because each one costs us a grand. <laughs> so I'm supposed to be retired, but with grandchildren, you're never retired. So happy Mother's Day to each and every one. I'm going to read, then I'll get into uh, the message. We're reading from Second Samuel chapter 23, starting in verse 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tekomite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino, the Ezrite. He lift up his spear against 800 and he slew at one time. And after him was Elysia, the son of Dodo, the Ahite, one of the three mighty men with David. And they were defiled. And they defiled the Philistines that were gathered together to battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. And he rose and smote the Philistines unto his hand, was weary. And his hand claved unto the sword. And wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the one the son of Agi, the Herodite, and the Philistines were gathered together unto a troop where was a place of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. And the three of the thirty chief went down and came to David into the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in in the valley of the Raphim. And David was, was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was there in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of water of the well of Bethlehem, which is at the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew the water out of the well of Bethlehem, that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink. These things did these three mighty men. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief among there, the three. And he lift up his spear against three hundred and slew them, and slew them, and they had the name among three. Was he not most honorable of three? Therefore he was their captain. Howbeit, as attained not unto the first three. 
And Benaniah, the son of Jodiah, the son of valiant men of Kezil, Kezil, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down and also slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. And the Egyptian, a goodly man, and the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, and he went down to him with a staff and plucked a spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. These things did Benaniah, the son of Jodiah, and had the name among the three mighty men. He was more honorable than the thirty, but he attained not to the first three. And David set him over his guard. Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the thirty. I'll stop there and go to verse 39. Uriah the Hittite, thirty and seven in all. Let's ask God the blessing and reading his word. Father, we come before you in thanksgiving. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for touching our lives. We thank you for the word of God. Father, we would ask that you would open up our hearts, that we would be challenged this morning to be a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. Show us what we would learn and how to put it into effect so that you receive honor and glory. So give us spiritual understanding. Give us wisdom and knowledge and help us again to honor you in all things. And we ask for your help in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, this is my challenge. I read what I did read and I avoided certain names because I killed the English language, never mind Hebrew. But the challenge was this. If you went to First Chronicles chapter 11, you will see that there is... Uh, same account going on, but with differences. The differences are that you even saw in the reading of this, there were some mighty men. We're talking about the 30 mighty men. It's mentioned in verse 13, 23, and 24. But there's more than 30. So we'll talk about that. The other challenge I had is Mom's Day. Now, how do you talk about 30 valiant men of God on Mother's Day? So I'll have a piece for moms in here. By the way, what I did read, there's one mother. I don't know if you picked up on it. There's one mother in the ones I read. So there's Mother's Day. Zariah. She's the mother. Uh, actually, David's sister. Okay. And the other, the other challenge I had was if I wanted to reconcile between chapter 11 of First Chronicles and here... Since there's no errors in the Bible, why are there such differences? And I could spend my time reconciling, but I'm not going to. That's your job. You can figure out. By the way, if you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 11, you'll see at the end of the names, there's 16 additional names. So they didn't have 30. They had over 46. We'll talk just a tad about that in a minute. But moms, let me talk about, I always start off with a story have to start off with a story. So, Mom, this story is for you. The photographer stuck her camera through the bushes. As she stuck her camera through the bushes, the baby robins opened up their mouth and were squawking. They never opened their eyes, just their mouths. Well, you see, Mama 
robin always would come and rustle those bushes and they would not care what was happening behind the bushes or what's coming through the bushes because mama always fed them. Well, this kind of trust that loving mothers and grandmothers instill in their children and grandchildren, that they know that whatever they place before them to eat, it's good food. But there's sometimes that you are placed with food that you really don't want to have, but you have to eat it anyway. So at least in my day and age, we had it. I see some moms today have a variety of meals going on. They think they're restaurants. We had to eat what was ever on that plate, and I really didn't like certain things. That kind of mom I had, and I trust you have had, uh, you are. And so you're a loving, trusting, faithful mom that will only feed their children nourishing food and caring food. Moms are true blessings from the Lord. Again, I could eat whatever mom put in front of me without fear. I didn't have to open my eyes. I knew that they would be good for me. She cared only about what, she never cared about what was easy for her. She cared about what was nutritious for her children. Her children. So whatever mom told me to do or not to do, I knew that she had my best interest at heart. And she was trying to protect me from getting hurt. I watched my wife go through those things. And she wouldn't even let the children ride bikes in certain areas because of their protection. Well, this is the kind of relationship we have with the Lord. You see, God compared himself to a mother in Isaiah 66 and verse 13. And it says, And one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. By the way, city of peace. You see, when we trust God's goodness, we are fed by his faithfulness. So when moms do all of these things, there's ten character traits that we will see in this message that moms already are putting into practice with their children or their grandchildren. First one would be a heart after God. A reverence for God is two. Three, courage as a warrior. You'll hear these again. Four, brilliance of a soldier or a good man or woman for God. Number five is loyalty they'll instill. Six, bravery. They'll want their children to be brave in all things, to stand up for God. Seven, wisdom. They'll pray for wisdom for their child. Unity is very important. That would be eight. Nine is faith in God. Ten is trust in God. And it's not necessarily in that order. But we see ten different elements that the mother or grandmother will work with their children. So the message comes before us. David's heroes, the mighty men. In verse 8, excuse me. You know why you have to drink? Because you're dry, because you're nervous. I look out here and there's nothing to be nervous about. Nobody's throwing anything yet. Okay, so there it was in verse 8. These be the name of the mighty men whom David had. You see, one of the things that the elders asked me to do was say, how did David choose these men? And we're going to talk about that. So let me give you a little outline of what's going on. 
Again, 1 Corinthians 11, 42 through 47 has 16 additional names of God's, of David's conquest and his kingdom in order to make David kingdom king over all tribes of Israel. It actually had over 40 names. The two lists mainly agree with one another, except minor differences, especially in the names. Like the very first name we read in is um, uh, the Tekomite. But what that really, his name is not Adino. It is Adino, but it's also Joshua Bean in First Chronicles chapter 11. We'll see that come out. There are three classes of heroes. The first class consists of three names, Joshua Beam, or that Adino, Elysia, and Shama. That's the first class. They were high-ranked. Second class. The kids consisted of three additional valiant men. They were Abeshai, Benani, and one unnamed. Who could that be? That would be in 2 Samuel 23, verses 18 to 23. The first one was 8 to 12. The third one is the third class, consists of 32 men. These are the 30 men of David, yet there's 32 names. That's in 2 Samuel 23, 24 through 39. You see, of those particular 30 men, or 32 men, however you want to call them, because they say the 30 men of David, by the way, the reason they say that, they just use a sum. A sum, what's rounded to the closest. It was a running list. So if a person died, they would put another name in. And they would keep the 30 going. And that's probably one of the reasons they'll come up with the, th- the 30 men of David. So, one, so they keep moving it on. So it's a moving list. And people tried to get on that list. They wanted to be the mighty men of David. That is a great honor to be. Matter of fact, the 30 men there, 12 men were appointed by David as commanders of the 12 detachments into which David divided the army. Each detachment they were to serve one month in the year. So one of the 30 men would take a detachment for one month, but, and then it would fill out the year, 12 months. So everybody get an opportunity to be a supervisor, boss, or a leader, or a mighty man. These three classes, by the way, did not include Joab, the commander-in-chief of the whole forces. The terms, again, we talked about the term of the 30. So... Let's look at why and how did God choose these men. If you have to understand how God chooses these men or David chose these men, he would have to rely heavily on God. But at the same time, he had to rely on who he was. So I'm going to take you through a history of David for a moment. And we start off uh, the most notable quality that David had that he would look at in choosing these men is he, they had to have a heart after God. Now, they didn't get the notoriety that David received by having the Bible. The, the Bible says that, and God said it all the way in the, the book of Acts 13, verse 22, these men's names are not like that in Acts. And this is what God said. When he, that is God, had removed him, Saul, he raised up for, uh, for them David as king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Isn't that a great testimony to have? 
So one of the first things David's going to look for is if these mighty men, do they have a heart after God? First Samuel chapter 16, you don't have to turn to these. These are just going to be summaries. You can jot them down, look them up later. David was the youngest of eight sons of Jesse, it tells in that, that chapter. He's assigned to watch over sheep. During this early days and nights while alone in the field, he developed something. He develops a reverence to God, a reverence of God, spending that quiet meditation before, this, before the skies above in the evening. You see, God's spirit leaves Saul and comes mightily upon David, who would be made king. And first, now take note of what words I say, right? Man after God's own heart, reverence. We pick up First Samuel 17 and 18, two chapters. David is a mighty hero himself. We have the story of David and Goliath there. And we see that David shows courage and brilliance as a warrior. He used a statement such as this. The Lord hath delivered me from the lion and the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. He goes against the giant with a slingshot. And the giant had a spear. Just like that Egyptian we read about earlier, it said a spear, but it's like the size of a, a weaving beam. I don't think I could lift it. And we go now and we see that courage and brilliance as a soldier. And then we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 19, all the way to chapter 31. David as an outlaw. David flees for his life from the jealous King Saul. Here David assembles a band of 600 men, fierce men, fighting men. Loyalty and bravery make up David's army. Loyalty and bravery makes up David's army. In 2 Samuel chapter 1 through chapter 10, we see David as a kingdom builder. He's building a kingdom. He is the king. You see, David was now 30 years old. He was a king over Judah, but it took him five years to be recognized by all of Judah. It took him five years to show that. And so he was developing something called unity, but he had to use wisdom. Ishobeth, Saul's son, was king of the southern Israel. He was murdered in the second year. All of Israel then recognized David as king. David makes Jerusalem, city of peace, his capital and brings the Ark of the Covenant home and defeats all of Israel's foes in those chapters. And so we see wisdom and unity building. And then we see 2 Samuel chapter 11 through to 24, and also 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 10. David's trust in God, David's faith in God, brought him success and peace. So we see from the last section of David's life, a life of faith, a life of trust. These are the qualities of David that he'll be looking for. A deeply spiritual man with a tender heart for God. He spent much time praying and praising God, writing 73 psalms of worship for the Lord. David was intensely loyal and committed to God and God's anointed King Saul. He was that committed. So what do heroes require? 
What do mighty men and women require? So we see David was a king. A hero must be loyal to God. David was a man after God's own heart. Heroes would be obedient to God in all that they do. Matter of fact, in Acts 13, verse 22, what does it say? A man who will do all my will. That's what God said. Brothers and sisters, do we do everything that God wants us to do? Do we read our scriptures and see that when God tells us certain things that we have to change in our life, do we take that moment of time and change it? Or do we move on and live the life that we've been living? You see, David was not only king and fierce and full of wisdom, but he was kind and he was giving. Heroes must be warriors and must be kind and giving as well. Show mercy where mercy is to be shown. Show grace where grace has to be shown. Would you make the top 30? Would I make the top 30? David was forgiving. Heroes should be forgiving. We'll see that come forth. David was repentive and brave. Heroes must be the same. Repentive of the sins that we commit and brave enough, encourage enough to apologize where we have to apologize. David possessed God's spirit. You and I are heroes, men and women of valor. We don't possess it. The Holy Spirit possesses us. And we are his, and I hope we treat him that way. So in summary of David, David was a brilliant leader, decisive, just. David transformed Israel from a weak and divided kingdom into a great empire. David's transformation paralleled David's life from a shepherd boy to a king. Throughout his life, he was loyal to God. He was loyal to the prophets. This resulted in victory over his enemies, forgiveness for his human weaknesses. A lot of people think of David and they go back to Uriah. They go back to Bathsheba. And we're not to think of them that way. We should think of him as a man after God's own heart. So let's go back to the verses that were given to us. Heroes of the first class. We see Jeroboam, Elysia, and Shammah. In verse um, 8, you will see Adino. There's right, Adino. So it's the same person. They have done the greatest of exploits. They their reward is greatest because of their reputation. And we so we see, what did the Dino do? He killed 800 men. 800 men of God. One battle, one spear, one God. Doesn't say in his particular victory that the Lord wrought a great victory. Only the other two. But we know that sometimes God isn't mentioned in certain areas. But it was God's strength that carried the courage of Adino. None of us kill people. We have to save people. So you're going to see in the New Testament, it's a little bit of a reverse. And we'll talk about in a practicality, what are you doing to save? Could you save 800 people by way of the Holy Spirit using his power through you as a tool? 800 people you've witnessed to and brought to the Lord through the grace of God, that'd be a mighty feat, wouldn't it? 
The second guy was Elysia. Uh, he defied the Philistines with great bravery. The men of Israel fled from Philistines, when, but Elysia didn't flee. He stayed the ground until his hand got tired. Anybody ever swing a baseball bat? Home run derby. If you ever watch the home run derby, you will see if they keep hitting it over the wall, that the second round, they're starting to lose some strength. By the third round, well, they're starting to lose more strength. If they do get a tie and have to go to another round, neither one can swing a bat too, too much. It gets tiring whether you're using a 33-inch, 34, 38-inch. You may start off with 38, but you end up with 33. So here the key is, and his victory was that, and that's in verse 10, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. By the way, all victories that we are involved in is not what we do. It's what, the God, what God does with us. It's his victory. So when in service to God, we should keep our willingness to serve and resolve the honor to the Almighty God. Let's get to Shama. Shama, again, the Philistines gathered a troop, and they went into the field of lentils. By the way, some people may have barley. You see, the word in Hebrew, barleys and lentils, are very close in spelling. Some people will say barley. What the point of that all is, is that that would feed their army. And so here the... Israel's fleeing because here comes the troop of the Philistines, except Shammah doesn't flee. He stays the ground, and he defends it. And again, in verse 12, it says, And the Lord wrought a great victory. A fine work, that word wrought, this fine work of art. And so God did it. So both with Elysian and Shammah, it is written, The Lord wrote, wrought a great victory. No matter how brave we seem to be, we should praise God for the victory because it's his victory with the tools. We may be the instruments that fight the battles, but God wrought the victory. And I keep saying that because too many people take credit for something that God has allowed. Let the strong glory in God. There's nothing sweeter than hearing a baby voice. Nothing sweeter. So then we go to verses 13 through 17. And you'll see again, and the three and the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time in the cave of Adullam. If you remember the story, he's stuck in the cave. He, he, his dad, his father-in-law is chasing him. Imagine having a father-in-law like that, chasing you until he can get a spear through you. I hope you don't have those type of father-in-laws. It's not fun. Unless God is with you, then no matter how close they are, they'll miss you. You've got to trust God. For the... But David's in the cave, and he, he says to his people, Oh, I long for the, a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. If you look at the history, you're not really sure what he's longing for because there is no well at the gate of Bethlehem. There's one a little bit further up on the east side of it. Maybe that's the one he's talking about. Or maybe it's gone away from, from in today's present age. 
Bethlehem at this time was controlled by the Philistines. Now, there's uh, arguments amongst commentators. Commentator says, well, it was Adino and Shama and Elysia. They're the three men. The other commentator said, no, they're not the three men. They don't give the names of who it was. But there's a reason, I'm sure, that God left out names on this particular instance. You see, when they did go down and they cut through the lines of the Philistines and they got the water and they brought the water back, David has to do something now. And it shows the wisdom of David. You see, he didn't drink the water. He didn't drink the water for a purpose, which tells me I need a drink. Because I'm dry again. You're making me nervous. You're not really making me nervous. Why didn't David drink that water? You see, if he drank the water, and because of the words that he said, then that means that other men will try other things that would maybe cost them their lives for the convenience of a king. And that would be wrong. So he took the water and he dumped it out as an offering to God. And he says, well, let's look at it. Verse 14, and David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistine was there in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, oh, that one would give me drink of water in the well of Bethlehem, such as by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew out the water of the well Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, and he poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. He wouldn't want any of his soldiers, his mighty men, to take a challenge such as that and die. That would be on his account. So he had to use wisdom and not drink it. This account shows of David's not drinking the water, respect for the three mighty men. Of the, of the follow, because it would cause other followers to risk their lives for his conveniences, as we said. David found a way to graciously reject what they did while continuing to honor these men. You see, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, For the love of Christ constrains us, constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one man died for all, then all were dead. And he, that he died for us, that they which live should not henceforth live unto the, themselves, but unto him that dieth for Thou hast, rose, thou hast rose again. And we should live for Christ and not can be concerned about ourselves, but we should do all things that our Lord has laid before us because he cost him his life and he didn't want us to lose our life. And so you take some of the things that you're reading in the Old Testament, see the grace in the New Testament, and see some of the differences and how we should live, and what God holds 
to our account. And that was the first class. Heroes of the second class. Abeshai, Joab's brother. He was chief of the bodyguard. This is in verse 18 to 23. He swung a spear and he slain over 300 men. Again, I think of Elijah. He, he took and he killed 400 men. And he, he ran in front of a horse and then he gets tired. And then he hears the words of Jezebel and runs. Beloved, if you see mighty victories in God and you have experienced these things, continue to trust him because he's bringing you through major trials and tribulations of your life. You see, he swung that spear and he killed over 300. He was the son of Zariah. That is the mom. He, she's the daughter of Jesse, David's sister. And oh, happy mom's day. <laughs> he was chief amongst them. Because he had a name among that, those three. So he was placed as high honors. The second one was Benaniah, the son of Joadiah. You see, he smote two aerials of Moab. Now, what are aerials? They are sim- simply lion-like men of Moab. They were the chief warriors of Moab. You think David could relate to them? Remember who he slew? He saluted Goliath. And so here's two men that he had to go against. But he also went down in a pit at the time of snow and killed a lion. Now, can you imagine that? By the way, it's snow time, right? It's lion? Well, they're hungry. There's lack of food. The snow's on the ground. And so with that viciousness of a lion, what did he do? He still killed the lion without any concern. So he was, oh, by the way, this Egyptian was a, uh, there, oh, there was an Egyptian. He also killed, it says, a goodly man. What that means is he's about the size of Goliath. He's a goodly man. Uh, he, he, he simply took, the guy had a spear the size of a, a weaver's beam. David, I'm uh, not David, um, Benaniah simply had this little club with him. Goes over and takes the club, the, the, the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slews him with his own spear. You can't do that unless God is with you. Those are things that are impossible, but there's nothing impossible with God. And then the third person you don't even see or hear about. Now, we see that we get into the third class. Verses 24 through 39. I didn't read all that. I read the first part, or 24a, and I read verse 39. Why? Because I'll kill the other names, and we'd be here all day doing those names. Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. Actually, 32 names mentioned here. Asahel was the first one killed by Abner in the beginning of David's reign. He did not lose his spot in David's mighty men. But he was the first one killed. David took men from all parts of Israel, and he took the most wise and valiant men. Note the last name on the list, though, Uriah. Uriah was a soldier. Uriah was treated wrongly. David repented for that. He was a man after God's own heart. But he considered Uriah as a valiant man. So what are the ten qualities that we saw through David that David would be looking for? 
a heart after God, a reverence for God, courage of a warrior, brilliance of a warrior, loyalty, that's your first five, bravery, wisdom, unity, faith in God, trust in God. And there's ten different things that David is looking for when he's getting these 30 mighty men. Now, what makes a great man or a great woman? So let's give you seven different things, what makes it. Number one, David was in many physical wars. He looked at body count or who was killed. Well, today, along with uh, those special qualities mentioned, heroes are not in a physical battle anymore. They shouldn't be. We're in a spiritual battle. We're not looking at a body count in death. We're looking for a body count and eternal life. And so I suggest strongly that the qualities mentioned were hard after God, wisdom, brilliance of a soldier, those type of things is that we take the scriptures that God has given us, put them in our heart, meditate upon them, and bring them out in a form of evangelizing, outreach, and witnessing. Bring forth the word of God so men and women can know the truth and the, the beauty of who Jesus Christ really is. There is no greater warrior than Jesus Christ. He took on the battle that none of us could face, the battle of sin. For one man, sin came into the world, and a sinless man had to go, a God-man named Jesus Christ, and he went to that cross, and he faced Things that we will never comprehend. That was three hours of darkness. I trust brothers and sisters that we would never understand the battle he went through there. He became sin. I don't understand that. He became sin. It didn't just cover it. He cleansed it through and through. And so therefore we have access to the gates of heaven because of him. So, heroes... Use the scriptures. Become a valiant man or woman for God and preaching God's word. And then heroes emerge in times of crises. You see, David's men refused to run. They refused to quit or give in and times were tough. When times when everybody else ran away, they stayed their ground. Well, what about today? What about you? What about me? We have things like vacation Bible school. People will use excuses not to serve. Others will look for opportunities to serve. Which one are you on? You see, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And remember to put those last three words in. In the Lord. Heroes have been prepared by their way of life. That's number three. You see, we talked about moms and we talked about grandmothers. And fathers and grandfathers are still in their picture too. It's from, remember, David learned these things from a shepherd boy to a king. We are learning things from, right from the mother's womb to our present day. 
Heroes emerge in times of crises. Those who are steadfast in these times are those who have learned to trust and obey God's word in normal times. You see, it's the normal times that you have to learn. When you're going through a crisis, a tragedy, a tribulation, a persecution, grab a pad, grab a piece of paper, and now do what David did. I I would have been discouraged unless I perceived to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And he waited upon God, be of good courage. And again, I say, wait upon the Lord. That's Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. Heroism is there before the crisis arises. You are heroes, valiant men and women, before the tragedy even comes. But it's your way of upbringing the way of your steadfastness. Number four, heroes are not frightened by the odds which appear stacked against them. I was at one of uh, Sean's games, uh, baseball games, uh, last week. The yellow team comes out, and one of the kids in the dugout says, where do they get those? They're so big. Well, we mercy rude them. Uh, we won the game by 15 runs. But just the size isn't it. The battle isn't it. It's the strength of God in your life and your upbringing is where it's at. You see, David took a step of faith and he fought Goliath and for God's honor, not for his honor. Jonathan, Saul's son, David's friend, said when the Philistines were threatening them. This is what Jonathan said. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come and let us cross over this garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord, perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. He'll save them. He'll help them. But you have to look to God. Everybody here trust God, beloved. You trust God? I hear people say that all the time. I trust God. I see that people are getting sick. A child gets sick. The worst thing that ever gets to to my heart is when one of my grandchildren gets sick. And then we can do one of two things. You can worry about it or you can pray for them. I'll choose praying. Not going to worry about it because God's in control. That's trusting God, beloved. Trust God. Don't look at your circumstances and see God. Look at God and see your circumstances. Put the God's eyes on, not the circumstances glasses on. It's blurry. Number five, heroes are willing to die if need be. Are you willing to die if need be? Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. These men and women, they trusted God. Some of them died because of it. These men and women were not afraid to die because their faith was directed Godward, toward heaven. Where's your citizenship, beloved? Is it in heaven? Are you living that way? These are challenges that we need to take. A man or a woman who's afraid of death is not one who is willing to live dangerously and take risks for the Lord. What do I mean by that? How many are afraid to pray in a restaurant? Out loud, in front of people. And I hope nobody here is afraid of doing that. 
my brother, I think I may mention this before, we were praying, my brother, my biological brother, he's also my spiritual brother, he's been there and he's not done that too many times. So we're praying, we've got our heads bowed, he, and he looks up and he's looking like this all around. I said, don't worry, they're all watching. You don't have to look, they're all watching. Live dangerously. Take a stand for God. Don't just say, I remember when I was coaching with John Litovich, we were out there and we had to go to JCC. And we had to pray before the basketball game. I was always allowed to pray. I always loved to pray. And then when I'm praying, I didn't say in the name of Jesus. I said in the name of Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim, Adonai, just to bring them to our side. So, Choose your battles. Heroes work and train very hard, but at the end, they look to God for victory. That's number six. In each class of heroes, the men, women themselves are commended. They stood fast with others fled. Stand fast, beloved. Stand fast in your faith. They took the initiative when they needed. It was apparent to take the initiative. Because of their courage, their bravery, their skill, they are praised. But they turn that praise back to God because God is the one who wrought the great victory. And the last one, heroes take their duties and responsibilities seriously. All soldiers, men, women, are required to stand their ground and fight. They did. Valiant men of the 30. They committed their duty and trust to God. And we go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Don't move. Be unmovable. Stand fast. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, these days when heroism may well be required, it is no longer popular to be safe, to be known as a Christian. It seems like if you use the word Christian, people take a stand back. Take a step forward. Don't, don't cower from it. We are called to have a strong commitment to God. Have it. His word we are to be committed to. And the Holy Spirit's leading we are committed to. Stay the ground. We are called to be faithful and obedient to God. To God's word to God's Holy Spirit, and yes, to God's people. We may have to stand alone and work at school or at home. We may have to be alone in all situations of life. We have one brother in our assembly. His name's Mark. He read the Bible, and he stepped out from where he was worshiping. Now his whole family is against him. And week after week, he comes. And he prays for his family. Take a stand. Psalm 27, 13, and 14, we, we told and we said to look at it. I think I'm pretty well done. I do have five quick things to give you, and then we're done. And I'll be very fast, so write it down fast. Number one, submit yourself to God totally. Romans 12, 1 and 2. That means obedience, beloved. Stay obedient to God and to God's word. Number two is seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The only way you're going to get full of the Holy Spirit is by making sure that your vessel is clean. 
if you've sinned, and we all have, clean it out. So you don't just, the Holy Spirit just doesn't pour in when you're, you're dirty. Repent, confess, fresh yourself off, and move on for the Lord. Number three, make a serious commitment. This is a daily commitment of reading your Bible, meditating on your scripture, and then throw memorization in, in that order. Read, meditate, memorize. Number four, daily again, prayer. Oh, by the way, number three, Psalm 119, 9 and 11, Colossians 3 and verse 16. Number four, prayer should be a daily exercise. I hear everybody going to the gym lately. Some people win weight awards and stuff like that, and I see who it is. And, uh, but, you know, exercise is difficult. But after you start to exercise and you don't go the next day, you miss it. And you don't go the second day, you miss it. And you go, don't go the third day and you don't miss it. The scriptures are that way, beloved. Prayer is that way. You may miss it the first day or the second day, third day, you won't. Get in the routine. Don't make it a habit. Make it a commitment. And number five, be a witness for God in life and in word. In life, Ephesians 2.10. In word, Romans 1 and 16 and Philippians 2 and 16. And beloved, Happy Mother's Day. How do you get a Mother's Day message with dirty, valiant men of God? I hope you got a little bit of both today. But remember this. Whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you think, put God in the forefront of your life. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather around you to see the beauty of you, to look at your scriptures and see and experience what they have experienced through your, your word and how it's laid out. Father, we ask that everyone who fellowships or visits here at Brantford Bible Chapel, that you bless them according to the riches of your grace. Until we meet again, Father, we ask that you bless each one accordingly. And for moms and grandmas out there, give them a special day. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.